Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other and maybe even you into liking what we like. This week is Crooked Little Vein by Warren Ellis. My name is Jeff and I organize my record collection alphabetically by band and artist's first name. My name is Jimmy and I miss walking aimlessly around Target and Best Buy. My name is Dan and I jog in my office. Jimmy, that is so true because it's like a power run in stores now like i literally timed right. myself when i had to go to walmart i went grocery shopping for myself and my mom and i got in into the register in under 30 minutes with like a <laughs> yeah. huge like i got everything on the list every single item that we need except for one that they didn't have then i get to the register and there was a guy trying to buy one box of tissues with a coupon and my entire cart at this point was on the belt waiting for this. It took four associates <laughs> to try to figure it out. And I oh, no. I was just standing there. I stood there for 10 minutes, just like holding my hands out, like trying not to touch anything, trying not to breathe, trying not to look at anybody wrong, trying not to be near anybody. Uh, but I, I just I just miss going to places like back in high school. Hey, you want to go to Walmart? <laughs> and right. you just walk. Yeah, there I was literally around. just about to say that. Yeah, uh, like uh, that's always my my go to is like walking around Best Buy or Target because like I have friends that live in Danbury and right across the movie theater from Danbury is Best Buy and like right around the, the block is Target. So we always hit Best Buy first, walk around there for like a half hour. Then we hit Target after that and then walk around there for like a half hour. And it's always a good time when you're with your buds. Yeah. So, Jeff, your fun fact is wrong. And let's move on from that. I knew you were going to say that. We don't have to talk about it. It's just something that I do that not many people do. Yeah. Something that I do that not many people do is jog in my office. <laughs> uh, is that because, because like, co- yeah, there's nowhere else. There's nobody there. And you're just like, yeah, it's because of quarantine right now. And coincidentally, because I work in banking, we are actually like swamped. I worked 57 hours this past week. Hmm. Oof. And um, yeah, no one is in my part of the building. And so when I start to get cabin fever and stir crazy from like doing all these small business administration loans, I go to an abandoned workplace, like a part of the building that is completely empty. And it's ironically where I used to work with like 30 other people in the same room in cubicles. Now it's just Mm -hmm. a big, huge, empty room. So I just stretch and I just jog around for like five, 10 minutes and then go back to work. (laughs) Nice. nice. Yeah, I like it. I do it a couple times a day. It's pretty fun. Get my heart rate up, get a little stretch in. It's cute. Yeah. Because it's still cold and rainy outside, so. Hey, uh, anyways, do we have any reviews, tweets, anything like that? I don't we remember. We have some tweets. Jimmy, yeah. what kind of tweets we got? Uh, we have a tweet uh, from a new fan of the show. Uh, or actually, I think she might have been listening since... Uh, our, I think it's the second record roundtable episode. Oh, okay. I remember oh, yeah. her, uh, messaging uh, Jeff about it. But uh, we have a message uh, on Twitter from Miranda R. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she says, um, she's talking about our creative writing episode. She says, a little late listening to the episode, but I genuinely liked them all. 
Um, though I love Dan's the most. Like the Doctor Who crossover and Jimmy's and the humor in Jeff's, but Dan hit all the spots for me. In terms of plot and tonal shifts and even metaphors, was sad to hear Dan wasn't talked into it. Haven't finished the episode yet, though. Just at the part where you're all talking about the processes. But uh, yeah, I, I was like, yep, yeah, classic Dan. He's uh, the best out of all of us and wasn't talked into it. Right? Like, you even won the poll. I think I got zero votes. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So. yeah, yeah that's, but, uh, that makes sense. Miranda is very cool. I slid into her DMs. Uh, unfortunately, she's quarantined <laughs> with her boyfriend, but uh, we Aren't had a nice conversation <laughs> about my writing, and uh, I told her, and I'm telling you guys now, that although I was not talked into creative writing and I haven't written anything long form, I have written some lyrics and poetry that it felt good to get that out because I've had writer's block for about 15 years now, so... <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, got it out. I wrote the first set of lyrics that I've been happy with in about 15 years. Nice. That's, yeah. that's good. That's cool. Yeah, great. Well, if you want to leave us well, reviews, you can do so on Apple Podcasts. You can send us an email at talkmeinto at gmail.com. Jimmy, why would they do that? Uh, if they feel so inclined. Correct. Yeah. You can tweet at us on Twitter uh, like Miranda did. We're at talkmeinto. Uh, great. Let's uh, Let's move on. Let's start the show. Talking ourselves into is the name of the segment, and that's what we're going to do. It's not everything that we're going to be talking each other into, but just a little segment that we like to do where we're uh, saying what we've been doing. And, keep uh, going. Yeah. Just keep on riffing. You guys baby. always hate on me. You guys are just. I love it. I, I legitimately love this. <laughs> it's so great. this week, I have been talking myself into. Uh, I got to pick one. Uh, oh, oh my uh, god! You're dude. You are so good at this game. You're amazing. <laughs> right? I love it. Uh, I'm kind of stealing one from Jeff because he was talking himself into it. But uh, I have been talking myself into my MCU rewatch, my Marvel oh, Cinematic Universe. A lot rewatch. of people that I know recently have been doing this because of quarantine. Yeah, so I was I like, just did it. Yeah, I was like, you know, there's 23 movies. I got a lot of time to kill. So uh, I've been watching about two movies a day. Today's actually probably the first day. I might only be able to do one of them. But uh, I'm almost done. I'm only on Endgame and uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, wow. um, I thought (laughs) you're like at the very end. No, literally. Yeah, I've been doing this for about two weeks. Yeah, um, I've been seeing uh, some pictures and stuff on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So I've been been tweeting out some some hot takes about some movies like... uh, Thor, I think the first Thor movie holds up pretty well, even though a lot yeah, of people crap on it's, it. It's better than people say. So is the second one. Yeah, I, I thought uh, Dark World was pretty fine, too. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been pretty fun. Uh, the only movies I've been really kind of like eh about are uh, I just watched Captain Marvel last night. Just couldn't really hold my interest. Um, it was oh, fine. Oh, that's one of my faves. Really? really? I think that's I, I don't get me wrong. I, I do enjoy the movie, but in the context of the other Marvel movies in the universe, it's pretty low on the list. I thought it was Bo- fine. Bottom 10 uh, for sure. Yeah. Bottom I also nine. really for- enjoyed um, Spider-Man Homecoming as well. I thought that was pretty good because I yeah, am a Spider-Man it boy. Is. Uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty good. I'm excited to watch Far From Home too after this. Um, but yeah, it, it's been pretty fun uh, revisiting some of the movies because a big chunk of them I only saw once. Like I only saw Captain America, Civil or uh, not Civil War, um, 
Winter Soldier, I think, like twice. So it, that's one it, of my faves. Yeah, that's, yeah, one of the that's pretty much highly regarded as the best MCU movie. So that was that was fun to rewatch. And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of get it now. I understand why people really like this one, especially in the larger context. Um, the demolition of S.H.I.E.L.D. I thought was pretty cool. And uh, I do love the fact that they, they come out with a S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show and then literally like a year later they get rid of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, but I was it, like, it oh, like boy. coincided with it. And right, I yeah. I remember I, doing that. I don't think it's a great show, but people yeah. do. And apparently yeah. it was handled pretty well. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Follow my Twitter at Son of a Fitch if you want to read some of my hot takes on the uh, MCU rewatch. Mm. Jeff, where can uh, <laughs> oh, wow. where can find you? Uh, Let's what, just what end have you it. Been talking yourself into. I have been talking myself into uh, Doctor Who quarantine content now. Okay. Uh, if you're a regular listener of this show, uh, we did two episodes on Doctor Who very early on. Um, I've talked about Doctor Who several times. Am I talking myself <laughs> into? But it's it's a weird time in the world. And one of the benefits of it, like they say, out of the plague came enlightenment. Um, <laughs> and out <laughs> of this is coming some pretty interesting content from unexpected sources. And a lot of people that used to be involved with the show are coming out with new things, short right. stories, little yeah. videos. I know um, there's some Russell T. Davies stuff that's been coming out. Yeah, so, so some of the highlights are one of the showrunners of the first several seasons, Russell T. Davies. He wrote a prequel to Rose, which was the first episode um, that bridged the gap between the eighth and the ninth doctor. He was asked to write this for the 50th anniversary before he even knew about the John Hurt doctor. So there's this cool little story that what could have been had uh, mm. had Russell T. Davies had more to say than uh, Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat wrote a short story featuring the 13th doctor. And it's cool to see other showrunners takes on the current doctor. Um, Jodie Whittaker herself has come out with a couple videos, mostly aimed at children that I thought were, was pretty nice of her fully mm -hmm. in costume, like, you know, saying not to worry and just being like a good person. It's cute little stuff. And um, there have been Twitter tweet alongs where I haven't been able to watch it because it's in uh, it's usually going on when I'm at work. But like reading the tweets for Heaven Sent, which is one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes of all time with. That's a great episode. Stephen Moffat, the director. There's so much cool behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Even even like random people who are like set designers like, oh, we made this using this plastic and we lit it this way and it's just like this really cool stuff that everybody at the same time is talking about and the the reason why i put this on my list was that uh russell t davies wrote a short story called farewell sarah jane i and, still gotta watch this oh man so he had some voice actor i'm not familiar with i know he's he works with doctor who read this story and then it cut to characters from the sarah jane adventures um giving a eulogy pretty much to sarah jane it was about her funeral so the the character right. that the actress that played Sarah Jane in real life, Elizabeth Sladen, died nine years ago. And this was the character dying at her funeral. And I was like, oh, my God, this 15 minutes is like so much more emotional than the last three, <laughs> four years of actual Doctor Who. And it was so well done and touching. And like at the end, it was hopeful. And I was like, this is this is fantastic content. And it's like not officially sanctioned. Like, right. Um bbc like tweets it out on their official account and they host it on their website but it's not they're not getting paid for this stuff this is just them creating things yeah so that's that's doctor who quarantine content uh it's been really really fun in these weird times and especially since there's been a gap and there's going to be a gap in doctor who until the next season so it's fun stuff 
Dan, what have you been talking yourself into lately? I am talking myself into a new album by a band that I like a lot called X. Oh, they have a new album? I thought like they were like not doing great. Yeah, well, they have been broken up for a long time. A few years ago, they did a big tour with their original lineup. And uh, I guess secretly the original lineup has been writing and recording and they just dropped a quarantine album. They were planning on releasing it in August, but they dropped it this past week. Um, It's the first time that this original lineup has recorded together in 35 years. Oh, Uh, the, the album is called Alphabet Land and it is really good uh it's surprisingly good (laughs) yeah you don't really think that like that would happen (laughs) yeah with any band really but that's that's cool so billy zoom is like this rockabilly guitar player and when he left the band pretty early on after the first few albums they replaced him with just sort of generic punk or rock guitarists and uh now that he's back it sounds like old school x and it's it's very good Oh, I'll that's cool. Listen to that. That's pretty cool. I like X. The only thing that's annoying. I've never heard them, but. Yeah. Well, you might soon. Oh. The only thing that's annoying is that um, the first. This album right now is only available like on Bandcamp. So you can find it like on Pitchfork's website and stuff, but it's not on Spotify or I don't think it's on Apple Music or anything yet. Whatever. So I, I don't successful. really know why they rolled it out that way, but it's new music and it's good. Nice. Cool. When we come back, uh, I'll tell you guys why you should like a book, and then we're going to read the book. (laughs) Cool. Then you're going to tell me why you did or did not like it. That's the show. (laughs) Talk me into. Crooked Little Vein is a novel by an author named Warren Ellis. Now, Warren Ellis is very well known in the comics industry for writing comics. Um, I was introduced to Warren Ellis through Marvel titles like X-Men. And Mm. I mean, he's written so much stuff. He's written, uh, I think it was Transmetropolitan, which was on Image. I'm blanking. I didn't research. I'm just going from my brain memories, but he's also, he has done a lot of creator own stuff and like on weird imprints like avatar. And you know, he's, he's got a, an awesome grasp of superhero comics down. Um, and if you guys want to jump in with any Warren Ellis related things, uh, feel, <laughs> feel free. But the reason why I, I wanted to do this book is because when I found out, that he was coming out with a novel for the first time back in 2008, this was published. I was stoked. I was like, Oh, I love this writer. I want to see what he can do in a different medium. And since then he's come out with another novel gun machine, but that was like 2011 or 12. And he, I don't think he came out with another novel since then. So he's only has these two books, but this one crooked little vein. Um, I love reading, but I don't really do it that much. <laughs> so when I complete yeah. a book, I'm like, okay, yeah, that was good. And there's so many things I still want to read, but haven't. So the idea of rereading a book I've already read is kind of like kind of wild to me, because why would I reread a book when I have like a pile that I bought that I haven't read in a couple of years? But I remember liking this so much and wanting to share it with other people. Even before this podcast, I've always talked about this book to people because it's it's so weird. It's like um 
I don't remember fine details of the book, so we'll, we'll talk about that in the, the next half. But it's like a, a pulpy crime noir book, but on acid. It's like bizarre, weird, grotesque shit going on. And the way that he he writes is it's kind of like, I don't know. I guess like when you're watching Pulp Fiction or maybe other movies, maybe not Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds it sounds like you're actually there. Like he writes how you would think if you were in the situation, right? Not like I like that. This character then thought, hey, what about this? No, it's like going through like what's actually happening in the moment. Very descriptive. Uh, I don't want to say anymore because I don't want to give anything away because there's a lot of weird shit in here. Um, I know. Let you me ask have... you a question, Jeff. Yes. Yes. What got you into it? Was it just that you knew Warren Ellis from comics? You decided to pick up his book. Did anyone That's talk it. to you about it? Nope. Just I knew Warren Ellis. Huge fan of um, ever a lot of comics he wrote. I I've owned a lot and read a lot over the years. Um, and it was literally just oh he's writing a novel. Let me buy this. So I did. Um, I got the paperback i don't know if it was ever in a hardcover but i couldn't really find it at first because it's like i mean it's on harper perennial which is i guess is a an imprint of harper collins um and i would just like go to barnes and noble it wasn't there go to borders at the time it wasn't there and eventually i just like i was like i'll just order it online whatever so i i got it and i read it pretty easily i think maybe on like a couple train rides and yeah, I just thought it was a great book because it's sometimes with novels you fight. You're like, OK, yeah, I guess I'll finish this. But this I was like, no, I got to I got to jump back in. It was one of those books that just caught me because of how different it was than other novels of the genre or genres that it was mashing together. Right. I, I'm excited for this because I'm not really that exposed to. Obviously, it's a running gag that I like coming of age stories because like. <laughs> I'm still a younger guy because like I haven't read a lot since I became like an adult. Oh, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to read some more adult themed books and uh, sort of expands my, uh, my novel gaze. Adult themed books. Have you read 50 shades of gray? <laughs> sure. Haven't. So just, I'm just going to read a blurb on the back just to give you a little bit better of an idea of what it's about. Um, Burned out private dick Michael McGill needs to jumpstart his career. What he gets instead is a cattle prod to the crotch. The president's heroin addicted chief of staff wants McGill to find the Constitution. The real one, the founding father secretly devised for for the time of gravest crisis. And with God's civility and mom's homemade apple pie already dead or dying, that time is now. But McGill has a talent for stumbling into every imaginable depravity. And this case is driving him even deeper into America's darkest dankest underbilly toward obscenities that boggles even his mind it's Hmm. it's a wild romp (laughs) (laughs) you've said that before Uh, a few times yeah so uh great um i have a hard copy if anybody wants to borrow it let me know and i'll mail it to them uh i'm not gonna do (laughs) that but uh this is a weird time we're in maybe you can find a digital copy i know my library has it digitally i'm probably gonna listen to the audiobook while i'm at work just to get through this um but yeah give it a read we're reading the entire book it's 280 quick pages 
And uh, when we come back from this break, we'll have read Crooked Little Vein by Warren Ellis. And the book club boys are back at it again. In the words of Raphael, let's do it, huh? I would have said it at the same time, but we're over the internet and it would have not timed up great. But yeah, let's do it, huh? Indeed. Yeah. Great. Let's do it, huh? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's way too late. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, that's why I didn't. Okay, fellas. Hi. It has been quite some time. Three since, weeks? Since we last spoke about a book that Jeff enjoys called Crooked Little Vein by Warren Ellis. Yes, came out in 2007 or eight. I don't know. One of those. <laughs> and a long, long time ago. Yeah. And Jimmy, have you read this book? I skimmed it. Just kidding. <laughs> I read it. I listened to the audiobook. Uh, yeah, so did I. Which oh, is how I, I read this now. Is one of the, yeah, this is one of the few times I've actually like, well, I, I would have preferred to have a physical copy, but Amazon is uh, uh, Very taking a long time right to get now, stuff. Yeah. yeah, which is fine. I totally get that. So I got a digital copy and I, oh, cool. I read it that way. Yeah, I, and, uh, uh, I listened it, to it, it a while. A, I went on a walk when it was nice one day. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I was reading it as a combination on my phone and on my uh, laptop, but it was it was a pretty quick read. Yeah, uh, it took me like four times. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. So uh, it's a pretty quick novel, and I think what we have to say about it could be pretty quick, but let's, uh, let's get right into it. Yeah. Um, this is about a private detective named Mike McGill. Um, as, we find him, <clears throat> as we find him in the beginning of the novel, he is sort of living every private eye trope. He's a uh, sort of washed up, run down guy in a crappy office. Disheveled. Yeah. Down on literally, his luck, living yeah, in squalor. He's living in his office. There's a rat pissing in his coffee cup. It's just uh, <laughs> everything is is just going great for Mike McGill. Um, he basically alludes to the fact that he is a shit magnet, as he describes it, which is uh, yeah. that anything terrible, like any situation he's in, becomes the worst possible outcome. Yeah, um, I know people like that, too. It's like Murphy's Law. Right. Yeah. Um. So pretty quick into this opening scene, uh, his office is descended upon by mysterious federal type looking men in black suits type characters. And uh, basically the person in charge of that says that he is the White House chief of staff and he would like to hire Mike to track down a missing artifact. Yes, the hidden constitution. Which... Immediately, all I could picture was Nicolas Cage saying, we got to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of, um, uh, Dan, what did you think of the uh, description of the uh, chief of staff? I thought it was, like, really well done. Like, I, I didn't like reading about him because I was like, I don't want to picture this guy in my brain. Yeah, he was gross and strange. And uh, in the audiobook, the reader did a very weird, like, high-pitched, nasally voice for him, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah the the narrator did. Um, you don't get it too often in, like, just aud- straight audiobooks where they do very different voices for different characters. But he did a pretty good job. But one of the reasons why I was drawn into this book when I first read it was because of how descriptive it was. Um, yeah. Like, especially the grotesque 
descriptions of like describing his body or the sexual descriptions of things we get into and just like the outlandish things like even like the first 10 pages he's talking about ostrich orgies and strap on dolphin penises which like then became a a real thing with like bad dragon it's like an actual thing that exists which is weird (laughs) yeah to me but we'll get into more of that later um but also like the way that he described the actual constitution the book um it's bound in alien skin it's written with fragmented meteors and it vibrates at a frequency that makes you read it it's just like it's really really like that yeah so like i was saying before in the earlier part of this it's it is like a crime noir detective thing but it's also just this really weird sci-fi thing kind of yeah a little bit of sci-fi you know what reminded me a lot of was uh happy that we that we read on the on the uh yeah i could i could see that i could see where uh grant morrison and warren ellis are both from england they have that <laughs> yeah that, the they weird got that, eccentric comic book creator vibe going on just that whole dour vibe yeah um, and, and the uh the the point of the the constitution was that it's like it's what like how did he describe it like he did something disgusting with like ben franklin uh, it was in his ass or something. Uh, yeah. And and like, I, I love the part where he says, make America beautiful again, because it just made me throw up in my mouth. But how <laughs> how much I hate that now. Yeah. Well, so two things with this part um, that I want to get into the good and the bad, I guess, right off the bat for me. <clears throat> I thought it was a really interesting idea that we're going to explore uh, the seedy underworld of American culture and sexual culture uh, for the purpose of basically trying to bring back this conservative right-wing ideal of what America should be. Uh, so basically right. the chief of staff pitches that since this book has gone missing, that this is why America has become quote-unquote perverted. That right, From the uh, 50s to present day. Right. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting idea that there's this f- actual physical artifact that represents the uh, cleaned up, uh, wholesome heart of America and that the only way we can get back to that is by having this artifact. Um, my... My only downside that I had with this beginning stage of the book, which I mean, I I sort of break this book up into like three chunks. And Mm -hmm. so uh, this first chunk to me is, uh, you know, the introduction of the characters and the plot and and stuff like that. So my my only downside I had with this is and you do have to have a level of um, you have to suspend reality a little bit in these types of things. But yeah, my biggest problem is why are they going to Mike McGill? Like, why would they choose this guy who's basically run out of business? He's an alcoholic. He's I mean, he's not known for anything as far as I can probably see. because if he strays, they'll kill him and he won't be missed. I mean, that's kind of a trope, too. They don't say that. Yeah, I get that. But I just nobody. imagine like, OK, like to segue into and, the and second he's desperate half. for the money, like five hundred thousand dollars to maybe like some like a really good private eye firm. Right. That might just be like a normal fee. I don't know. I don't know. Money. Yeah. But five hundred thousand dollars to somebody who has nothing like i would take that now and i'm doing pretty good yeah (laughs) so i mean yeah you kind of have to suspend disbelief but i just think it's a little convenient like obviously it's really fun to have this character who's like the world is shitting on and then all of a sudden he's put in this position of great responsibility i do agree you have to suspend disbelief though especially with Um, like this 
But I like the introduction of this sort of alternate reality we're in, which they kind of ease you into. They don't come out and say like, oh, this world is like so messed up and stuff. But we see that it's sort of a little bit heightened beyond the world we live in. Yeah. So like, uh, and you see it in like the interactions that Mike overhears like on the TV news and um, I don't know, just like the endless wars that are playing out is like something that we're dealing with, but it's just pushed to a little bit level beyond reality. I don't think it was pushed to a level beyond, especially in 2007. I mean, he was probably right. He was writing this like a couple of years into like the, uh, the Iraq war. Um, So I think, I don't think that it's exaggerated, really. I think it's highlighting, but I wouldn't say it was exaggerated. Uh, I don't think there actually are theaters operating showing Godzilla pornography. Okay, well, actually, I mean, we're, we are skipping around. We don't have to go in order. But when I read... No, this is this, pretty early on. The, the Godzilla it is, theater. It is. I mean, like you find out more about like the conspiracies and stuff going on. And, and a lot of it is that, um, but he goes into this theater um, that has MHP Bukaki, which we find out stands for macro herpetophile, which is like giant lizards. Um, yeah. And when I was reading this the first time, I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, Oh my God, this is actually crazy. This is so weird. And like, I love it cause it's weird and it's strange. And then like, I either read an interview with him or I looked it up and it's real. Everything in here, every kink he talks about, even we'll get to crazier ones later, is 100% real. This is a real thing that people do. There, There is actually a theater where they pass out lizard hands and have these edited movie Godzilla movies with Bukaki going on. Like, it, it's an actual real thing, which to me makes it even like this book even more bizarre because it it didn't just come from one person's mind. It, the, there are communities like this that do this stuff. Uh-huh. Okay, I guess Which, I'm I mean, a little bit more. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's naive. definitely definitely not for me. They're not hurting anybody. So if you are uh, mm-hmm. macro herpetophile, go for it, man. Well, and it's interesting the way you phrase that, Jeff, because that sort of becomes the heart of the novel, which is, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about his femme fatale, which is a common trope in these types of stories, which yes. is a a woman Tricks. that he meets in this theater called Tricks, uh, who is sort of deeply vested in these alternate lifestyle choices she's uh she's in college studying i i don't remember writing a a thesis on it right right and uh basically she becomes an interesting it's his touchstone into these alternate real alternate lifestyles but she also is sort of there to prove that just because you may have a fetish or uh, a kink you're not a bad person like She's a right. It doesn't define who you are. Right. It humanizes a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, at at that point, um, they they sort of like uh, they decide that they're going to go on this journey together. He basically gives the whole spiel about what he is doing and stuff. And he hires tricks because he's a little naive. He doesn't know about this side of the world. I also kind of like that. There's not really a whole lot of like, well, at least in the beginning, there's not like oh, we have to do this thing for the government or whatever. It's not like, oh, we're 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 doing this because we love our country. It's just sort of like, yeah, we got to make a few bucks. Yeah. Like, uh, it's basically just like a job at that point. And even like she's sort of vested in that too. She's not really into that, but we sort of, sort of get her takes on things towards the end of it. Well, so, at this point, she does not know the purpose. She just knows that they're after an antique book. That's true. 
So I think yeah. we see more of Trix's opinion come out um, in a later scene in the hotel where right. where so, Mike right. talks about what the book is for and what the book want what the um, I just forgot his name who's his contact the chief of staff what he wants to use the book for yeah, yeah and, and at this point like they're staying in a hotel because he has the money in his bank account to do the job and it does get to like this weird surreal part where like there actually are ninjas with swords hailing cabs like at first i thought it was a way to describe like the way that they jut out into the road but like there's actually ninjas that yeah that's hotel. the type of stuff that's a little bit pushed <laughs> yeah like yeah. that that stuff yes i can agree with you on that it kind of reminds me of like uh the dark knight returns where like it's just it's this world that's like kind of like ours but there's like a couple little things that are a little weird like they're just mutants right. just hanging around you know and then so jimmy we listen to the audiobook and like i said the narrator does voices when he does yeah. the voices for the cabbies i was like is he racist <laughs> uh oh interesting i i didn't obviously i didn't know that but so we we quickly from this point we launch into the plot of the story which right um is pretty it, it's a pretty straightforward like uh, MacGuffin quest for the mythical item or whatever and we're yeah. we're trailing this crooked little vein all around the country trying to find the book um there's some interesting touchstones along the way I don't think we need to get into all of them but um you're supposed to track down a woman who lives on a houseboat that Nixon traded the book to for sexual favors. And apparently like I read an article in the Los Angeles times that this was actually, uh, an homage to an essay, um, called Nixon and the whale woman, which was written by Hunter S. Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson about a, an actual supposed, uh, like sexual liaison between Richard Nixon and this real woman. So it's kind of funny oh, that this is the start of the quest because it's them sort of taking a left turn from reality and this is their way to do it. Yeah. And I mean, it also, it may be uh, Warren Ellis didn't mean this uh, specifically, but I mean, like you had Clinton and Lewinsky, you had Harding and his mistress so that is very well documented in the love letters that came out after he died. So like, you know, it's it's a common thing to have like side pieces in the White House. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I mean I don't remember every single stop along the way, and I don't remember the order. But there's well, some funny moments, like we get um, them meeting up with some bodybuilders that had the the book at, for a while, and and these guys are are I assume all homosexual bodybuilders yeah yeah who, they say that it's a group of gay men yeah and their fetish is they like to inject saline into their testicles so while i read this for the first time i believe i was on a train reading this part and i have never been more physically uncomfortable reading text <laughs> than i was reading this because it's so vivid and descriptive and like i haven't yeah. read this in 12 or 13 years and i think about this often just randomly it'll it'll like sometimes like you might sit down weird and like sit on something and you're like oh and then i'm like oh what if that was like filled and i'm like oh god oh no oh 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 and like you know because i've been on the internet in the last 25 years you see some you see some stuff you don't want to see and then i'm like oh, yeah. picturing it i'm like oh oh my god no no oh god like it's just it's like the biggest it's one of my greatest fears is testicular torsion like we can get into this because like you know it, it's not when, it's when the, the testicle t 
turns in the sack and like the vein gets to apparently it's the worst pain um a person can have a man can have and like i think about that sometimes and like this just amplifies it and it's it's like one of those irrational things like my my ball's gonna twist and it's gonna fall off um but like i don't just listening to this again was like the worst (laughs) thing ever and i knew what i was getting into because i suggested this book but like you guys you guys needed to experience it too what did what did you think about this scene (laughs) Uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was uh, weird and gross. Uh, I also know somehow, thank you, Internet, that this is a real thing that exists. It is. is like I said, really? every, everything yes. in this book is a real thing. I don't know about the the lady parts being filled, which Trix also did to fit in. But, um, yeah, it's real. Uh. And like even later oh, on when there's that part where they talk about like filling like different parts of their body with like um, some kind of material filler, they like, call it. Yeah. Yeah. But like that's like I remember yep. that there was there were like 10 or 12 years ago, maybe when this book came out, there was a lady who like got her ass filled with liter- somebody, a doctor filled it with concrete and yep. like <laughs> she either ended up dying or like terribly disfigured but like yeah like everything in here as weird as it sounds is totally true yes it's funny that you say that because this is the first part of the book where i was it kind of took me out of it because it seems so unreal (laughs) right Um, isn't it it crazy yeah the only i think what dan was talking about too is that it, it seemed kind of like implausible that uh, the government would go to uh, this guy to do this. It seemed kind of like why? Because we know him sort of as a personality. We know Mike is like this disgruntled dude who doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to get his shit done. Uh, I was just like, why is he doing this? Um, I don't know. It, it that kind of took me out of this. I would have yeah. just like. Well, uh, unfortunately, he didn't. Ha- he didn't have his gun, so he couldn't like uh, force anything out of them. But uh, yeah, I don't know. And I they mean, ended he's up, sort of uh, in desperation mode for the money, so I could see why he's on the quest. But I agree with you. I think there's a part of Mike that is more open to this stuff than he would like to admit to himself. Well, yeah, like Mike and Trix have That's kind true. of been forming a relationship, and the first time they had sex was while the saline was lessening in their oh, private right, parts. Yeah. Um, but I, another funny part, I thought, while they were on the drive back to the hotel, they were they were in Columbus, Ohio, and they had the radio on, and he was tr- turning the channels, and like there's a channel that says Ohio's liberal voice, and it was just loud screaming. Yeah. Um, and then Christian radio, which is just like that's everywhere in middle America. It's like so many channels. Keep blowing your nose, Dan. It's fine. I'm Don't sorry. ask me to stop talking. Um, and then like I just think it was cool, like the local radio with the two stoners nearby and then like the government busts in while they're on the air. It's like silly stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, that's good. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of a nose. Get them problem. all out. No, I'm you could have just said, "Hold on a second. Like I, I wasn't talking or anything. <laughs> so, uh, what Jeff is alluding to about the filler is uh, another stop along the way, where at some point a transgender prostitute had the book, and uh, they go to find her, and she is unfortunately in the process of dying from infection yes. due to these filler parties, which is a real thing and is very yeah. sad that people have to go through that. Um, but it puts them in contact with her pimp, who's quite an interesting character. Uh, I forget his name, but he's gross. Muppet. <laughs> Muppet. Thank you, Jim. And yeah, uh, I don't know why that popped in my head, but I was like, oh, yeah. Again, like another little bit of a mm, writerly convenience Jimmy alluded to is Mike never seems to have his gun when he should have it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, 
Yeah, there's there's also like the chief of staff showing up in Texas at the Alamo. Like, yeah, it's convenient. He probably wouldn't be there. Like, why hire somebody if you're just going to follow them anyway? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, whatever. You put these things aside for the sake of the story. And uh, um, it's kind of fun to follow through those. Uh, I mean, trophy isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I, I think if you're playing within the genre, uh, I think it, it could be done pretty well. And I think that this book does do those tropey things very well. And uh, that's one of the things that I like about it is that it's that this tropey, but it's still playing within it. Yeah. So um, he winds up basically figuring out that um, the heir to an extremely wealthy family, like a cattle family. What's yeah. that? The Roanoke. The Roanoke. Yeah, the Roanokes, he believes, has the book. So he they head up there. The guy's total creep. Well, first of all, the old man uh, kills cows in the night naked and drinks their blood and does all kinds <laughs> of weird stuff. Yeah, it's totally normal yeah. stuff. Then they get to the house. The old man is like completely like just whacked out. Can't even like figure out who they are or like have a conversation. So he like passes out and then... Um, Mike meets up with his son, who is like the heir apparent, but is like a real scumbag and like maybe hunts people. I don't know. Uh, also, yeah, it kind of had a most dangerous of, game. Yeah, to it uh, definitely has a desk drawer full of cocaine. Yeah, uh, yep. I thought that was pretty funny. It kind of reminds me of like a weird, like arch caricature of George W. Bush. Did you guys get that vibe? Yeah, one hundred percent. Especially with the whole legacy yeah. thing with uh, uh, Jeff Roanoke Jr. Um, Especially when this is written. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I believe they allude to him being part of like Skull and Bones at Yale, which they, they do, and like the Skull yeah. and Bones Yale and like slave owners, and like people don't think about that. Like I'm looking out my window right now, and you could like see Yale. Yeah, like, it's right here. And like terrible things have originated from like a couple blocks away from me. Like I can see where terrible things happened. And like George Bush was in Skull and Bones. And yeah, I've actually you know, walked Carey by was... this. I've walked by the Skull and Bones house and didn't realize it until afterwards. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, like you think like what's going on in there now is going to, you know, people are in there now that might be the president in like 20, 30 years. It's really weird. And I, I get weird vibes from it sometimes. So uh, he says that, see, th this is the part where I get a little hazy for me. I believe he sold it to try to pay for political aspirations. Mm -hmm. And uh, is that where it went to the the lawyer? I don't really remember exactly. The, I mean, well, I wrote down a lot of stuff, but I just wrote down like. Well, anyway, piece. somehow it winds up with this high powered like corporate lawyer in Los Angeles and tricks. Uh, figures out that she has a contact there. Um, so they go fly to LA. There's a weird little segue on the airplane that is another thing that's sort of uh, like heightened reality. Mike has this very strange <laughs> conversation with a serial killer on the plane. Yeah. Which is kind of this interesting. This is actually one of my this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the book too because obviously we get through ooh, you said the name of the book in the in the book. <laughs> um but uh I thought it was pretty cool too because like I don't know. It, it just seems so bizarre and like so out there. And uh, he's just sort of like, I guess uh, humanizing is not a good word, uh, but sort of like seeing this person, this like horrible person as like a person instead of just like, uh, I don't know, a monster. Um, right. And it, 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 it sort of plays with that theme that's been 
in this book the entire time of like maybe all this stuff isn't that bad um i'm gonna disagree with you in one aspect i think it does okay it it shines a light on him but all right before this we have the scene that we alluded to which is uh mike explaining the book to tricks and tricks is upset because yeah. she knows that if the book is opened and read that all these uh fetishes and all these people who are like gender queer or you know hetero nonconforming or whatever you want to call it kinky are probably going to get like brainwashed lobotomized back to being like quote unquote wholesome americans mm-hmm. so her point is that like there's nothing inherently wrong with with having a kink or you know not not conforming to societal ideals it's it's how can i describe this like the so the the conversation with the serial killer is a juxtaposition because isn't it better to be out in the open and be a good happy rounded person who happens to have these quote-unquote unmainstream desires than to be like this guy who's living his life as a normal person, the world sees him and thinks yeah. he's a normal, well-rounded, happy individual, but he's keeping his kinks in the shadows and he's actually like killing people because he can't he, he can't express his desires in a natural uh like wholesome way. You know what I'm saying? Like Right. He's, yeah, that that's a that's a good explanation. And, and, and there's also what, oh, the theme, sorry, Jeff, but the theme from sort of this point forward in the book, and it keeps being reiterated, in my opinion, a little too heavy handedly, is Trick's uh, statement that um, this is the new mainstream. Like, because everything is accessible on the Internet, there is no more hiding in the shadows or or there shouldn't be. So you cannot just go back to the mainstream you can't you can't put the monkey back in the closet it's out people are this way this is the mainstream right but there's a weird part when they're in la and i was working from home and listening to this on speakerphone and i was like man i hope my wife doesn't hear this out of context because (laughs) i don't like this i like i don't know how to feel about this part it was like the strange part about tricks defending bestiality and there's there's a couple things where like and you know we've we briefly mentioned like not kink shaming in this episode but there's some things where like you kind of can't really defend and like one of them that they touch on later in this book which is really unnerving is pedophilia and i think that two of those things are like pedophilia and bestiality and it was a weird hill for her to kind of die on or attempt to die on and i was like oh i mean i i get the metaphor and i I, I get, get for the I get what he's going for, but the example he used is not good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I think uh, <clears throat> I think that was actually a choice that she would quote unquote die on that hill because they're in the middle of an argument. And she's trying to de- defend her non yeah. non monogamous like her polyamorous yeah, side. She's, she's poly and bi, and um, they do talk about that a lot. But like. I don't know. That part was, I forgot that was in the book and I was like, oh man, Dan and Jimmy are going to say no after listening to this. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think you're supposed to agree with her. I think, I think that shows, um, how sort of you can wade into this world and get sucked out with the undertow. Like, I don't think she is a bad person, but when you start saying yes to everything, where do you draw the line? Right. 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 And uh, I mean, I, we should get a little bit into the B, like the subplot, which Jimmy mentioned, we haven't really gotten too deep into, which is this <clears throat> growing relationship between Mike and Trix. 
Um, yeah. Which starts out very clearly as like a friends with benefit type thing. Like she says that she doesn't maintain monogamous relationships, that she will have sex with people that she cares about, but she's going to keep having sex with other people at the same time. And Mike sort of agrees to that. And then after they've been intimate, he kind of has this statement of like, you could do whatever you want, but just make sure you come home to me and don't tell me about it and stuff, which we'll get into more at the end of the book, but I have some issues with this. But, uh, yeah, so um, Mike asks Trix if she has any contacts in L.A., and she knows an attorney out there, so they go to stay with this guy. Uh, Mike, I forget where he was, but he, I think he shows up late or something, and when he gets there, Trix is already having sex with him, which pisses Mike off. Right. Um, he was at the um, the tech company uh, or whatever. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. He went out to have a cigarette and he ended up meeting this guy. Another very convenient thing who's like yeah, sort of like a Google Facebook type character. Right. Uh, who owns this tech company and he... A Zuckerberg type. Yeah. And he's basically saying like, oh, we collect um, information privately and we do like basically WikiLeaks. Like anyone can send us stuff and yeah. we'll disseminate yeah, it, was, it online. It was a little bit before it's time. Like it was still out there enough for Warren Ellis to know about it. But like, yeah, it, you know, that stuff became pretty big in the coming years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, Mike's pissed off. Like, uh, you could watch a- anything you want to watch in the world at any time in your phone, like smartphone. I don't think iPhones were out by the time this came out so it was like you know you had blackberries and stuff like that but nothing like yeah they're talking about a palm pilot the entire right book. right yeah so uh basically like um how does he find out about it oh um so the attorney had mentioned to mike and tricks that the that the attorney that they were after was hosting a big huge party and he could probably get tricks invited but not mike so then mike happens to mention this to the tech guy who says like oh you're going to one of those parties you don't want to go to that that's messed up they do like messed up stuff with kids there and stuff and uh so Mike pisses Mike off. Yeah, that pisses Mike off. And Mike basically like beats up Trick's friend and finds a gun in his house and like holds him at gunpoint and says like, you're going to get us in there and we're going to like get the book and, and all this stuff. Um, yeah, yeah I he Jim paying all of his money to save Tricks too. That was like his ultimate show of love. Oh, yeah, that was I'm sorry. So that oh, was from true. that was earlier. That was to Muppet. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're skipping around a lot, but yeah. like, well, you guys want to get into um, the... like we skipped over anal dentata. Like, come on, we could talk about a toothy butthole. Let's do it. You guys want to get into the last section of the book, which is the yeah. the party and the the quest to reclaim the book and what they're ultimately going to do with the book. Yeah. So the party. This is a terrible part of the book that I also forgot about. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is rough. But the uh, the higher ups, and this is kind of like. It's kind of a conspiracy thing, like in real life. Um, I mean, we saw it pretty significantly in 2016 with uh, Hillary Clinton Pizzagate and, um, you know, with with uh, prominent politicians and pedophile rings where they would have sex with children so that they won't get diseases because they're pure, which is just a vile, vile thought. Um, and I think yeah. it's it's supposed to be that's the book is trying to make you th- make you think so terribly of these people like okay how can we make these like you could you could have them do sexually depraved things but this whole book you're defending kinks so you do the ultimate bad and like you're like oh yeah these these guys are bad like they have to be stopped 
like this at this point mike is just like nope i'm i'm in this we have to we have to end this shit yeah but it's an interesting so we'll get into the specifics of his plan a little bit but it's interesting that um there's sort of starts to become this valley between Mike and tricks, which is what are we going to do with the book? So Mike feels that, you know, his job is to get the book and give it to the, um, chief of staff and trick says, you can't do that. Like if you, if you get the book and you give it to him, it's going to be used against everyone in the world. And people like me are just going to basically be lobotomized. You're just like eliminating our entire lifestyle. And Mike's basically like, I think he's torn because on one hand, he likes tricks and I think he has a little bit of kink in him too. Like they allude to some of the sexual stuff going on between them. They don't get super yeah. graphic, but uh, they're not having tr- traditional vanilla sex. Uh, but on the other hand, Mike wants to get paid. And he also, I don't think he would be super upset if people like this, these people holding these pedophile parties were stopped. I think that's, he right. thinks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If this book gets out there and it makes this go away, then okay. You know, whatever the greater good. But they, they hatch this plan to break in. Uh, Mike is going to, like, basically break into the attorney's private office from the floor below and uh, steal the book. And uh, the why can I not remember this guy's title? The chief of staff says, like, when you get the book, <laughs> he's like, when you get the book, call us and we'll, like, rain hellfire down. We'll come roaring in, guns out, and just, like, you know, get the book. So, uh Mike basically uh, breaks in and he gets his hands on the book and uh, he calls the chief of staff. But before he does, he takes pictures of every page of the book and uploads it through the uh, tech guy's private server to be released onto the Internet. And he knows that uh, by allow by allowing people to see this for themselves and to know uh, that the chief of staff and the president want to use it to brainwash them, that it'll take its power away. Right. Um, so what did you guys think about right, it this? Won't ha- it won't have like the vibrating effect, but yeah. it will. I, I thought it's it was brainwash you. I thought it was good. I liked it. I liked the ending. Uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, yeah. Cause I like was sort of just like when you're... I was figuring that they're just going to get rid of the book or yeah, I was like, expecting him to something. try to like burn it or blow it up or something. Yeah. Cause yeah. when you, when you're on this journey, you're like, where is this going to go? And then you're like, Oh, that was actually yeah. like a wholesome, good ending. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I like it. I'm going to disagree with one thing, which is not about the plot of the book, because I agree that was probably the, the most concise way to end that. Because if he had destroyed the book, all those feds would probably just kill him and tricks. Um, yeah. And obviously oh, for sure, if he released it, then that's, that's terrible. That's, <laughs> that's the country we're living in now where conservatives are trying to control everyone and make choice okay. illegal. Um, so it's, it, I like that. What I didn't like is the way we ended the relationship between Mike and tricks, which is uh, Mike it was real fast. It was fast. Like and- I had to listen to it twice. As someone who, uh, how can I say this? As someone who is a little bit more traditional in their lifestyle and has tried to maintain relationships with people who are non-traditional, it's not as easy as this. And and yeah, and we've seen this go poorly. We've seen Mike try to say, "Oh, as long as you come home to me, I'll be fine," and he's not fine. And also, <laughs> right. So so we leave these characters in a situation where they're together, but they have fundamental differences of how they want to live their lives. So this can never That's be a lot of couples, though. 
I don't know if it's a lot of successful couples when it's such a part of their character. This is an immovable object and an unstoppable force. Like either Mike is going to have to change and be okay with it. Or Trix is going to have to give up a huge part of her character. And to me, that's, I don't know. It's kind of a little bit like, I, I don't know where I stand with it, but it doesn't feel as happy as I think Warren Ellis wants it to feel. I would be happier with them saying like Mike saying, you know, I love you and I care about you, but I just can't be with you. And like, I wish you the best. That would seem more real to Mm. me. Yeah. I don't know. I I think he's, uh, I think the book is trying to lean more into the tropes and you're giving it credit for. Um, I I think that it's supposed to be like, uh, not necessarily like a happily ever, ever after, but like, it's the end of the movie where like he kisses the girl and then it feeds the black. Like, I don't know. I would agree Um, with you. And I think it would be more powerful if let's say the first time Trixie hooks up with that tricks hooks up with that lawyer, Mike surprisingly doesn't have a problem and he learns something about himself that he can be non-monogamous. Then at the end, that would be a really powerful ending to me because he learned something about himself and they're able to go on living this non-traditional way. But to show that he did have issues with it, I just don't see how that's fixed by the end of the book. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I also like the juxtaposition of where it began and like the the description of like the rat peeing in his coffee. And then it ends with them mm-hmm. in Beverly Hills, which is like I, I've been there. It is like the movies. You yeah, know? it's <laughs> it's really nice and sunny and palm trees and a lot of money. And yeah, it's yeah. So that was that was the book. Um, any final thoughts overall thoughts before I ask? Um, I, I, I think I agree with Jimmy a lot, which is that it's definitely filled with, uh, tropes, but not in a bad way. I think that it sort of tries to stand out like as a genre piece, like uh, a love letter to film noir and detective stuff. So that didn't really bother me. Um, I found it a little bit predictable and like it. Um, maybe had a little bit of a bow tied on it. Like, uh, and again, that's par for the course with this genre, but I just thought some of the coincidences were a little, little too much for me. Um, okay. But yeah, those are my overall thoughts. Uh, personally, I think that I would have maybe at the time, uh, when the book came out, it probably would have been like more of a, wow, that was like really crazy. Uh, but like, I don't, I've just like, but since then you've, you fap to a lot of weirder shit. Yeah. Well, it's funny Uh, that the, (laughs) the theme of the book about how these kinks have gone mainstream has only increased throughout the years to the point where I feel like when he wrote this, he intended you to have to look a lot of things up and I didn't, I had heard of almost every one of these things. (laughs) Like I said, just not the Godzilla, but everything else I was like. Oh, yeah. Like, it's to the point where in the first couple chapters, the character doesn't know what Bukaki is. And in 2020, yeah. we all know what Bukaki is, right? Yeah, but I think at that time, everybody did, too, because it was, like, also a joke. Yeah. It was a, it was something that people weren't talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but, I uh, mean... Uh, talk me into we're Bukaki. Also, we're, also strange, <laughs> we're also strange, and we've, we've had conversations hey, where, guys, like, a lot of... Guys, when, like when happens, quarantine but. is over, can we do a special episode? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Okay, okay. I think it's time for you to ask a question. The question that I must pose to my two friends. Did I talk you into 
Warren Ellis's novel, Crooked Little Vein. Oh, no. Dan, I'll count. Yeah, I can't see. Okay. Yes. Yes. Wow! I was expecting two no's from you. I was actually... Like, I thought Dan would absolutely hate this. I thought Jimmy would be torn, but I was kind of like, like, I I always want you guys to say yes. I always bring something to the table that I want you guys to enjoy. But like, there was a little part of me that was like, I kind of want them to be combative and hate it. (laughs) Like, especially rereading it, because I'm like, okay, I do remember all of this, but like some of it is just so out there. Like, there's no way, like when they were describing uh, old man Roanoke and like, I'm like, they're not going to be into this. Well, There's no way. I I'm think so that the main reason that that I didn't feel that way, Jeff, is because I went into it with the understanding that it was a, uh, you know, an, a, a caricature, like a, a little bit pushed version of society. I didn't go okay. into it right. viewing that it was realistic. Oh, Me man, that's that's great. This is fun. This is good. Well, yeah, I, I'm happy. Jim, great. do you have any uh, other? So, yeah, you get into like what you thought about yeah. it. Uh, so... I don't know if I'm going to reread this ever again. Um, not saying that it's a bad book, but like I sort of got everything that I need to get out of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely inclined to read more Warren Ellis stuff. So I, uh, I, I, I would recommend he good. only has one other novel. It's called Gun Machine. It came out a few years after this. I read it like a couple years ago. Um, it's actually yeah. behind me. It's right there. Boop, boop. Um, okay. And it's more of a straight up like detective book there's nothing like weird sexually depraved sci-fi um it is it is kind of like an out there uh i don't know it's more grounded in reality and it's more of a straight crime book which i thought was really cool and it is it it, it does deal a lot of like guns you know america loves them sorry jim but we do (laughs) yeah i I definitely want to read some of his comics too i know he wrote like extremists and stuff for uh iron man um, but yeah, no, I, I like how he writes. Um, I thought oh, uh, his descriptors were really good. Even his stuff for Avatar, he wrote a book, he wrote a, a comic series, miniseries called Black Summer. And the reason why I bought it, it's pretty dark, but um, it's about the government creates a superhero and they program it to destroy all evil. So the first issue, the cover is a wraparound in gory details from an artist, Juan Jose Rip, of uh, the Black Summer superhero in the White House with George Bush on the ground bloody dead he's killing all politicians because they're evil and i thought that was i'm like this is the funniest concept of a comic book and it's just like this really gory disgusting comic and it's it's awesome um yeah but he he does he he has a lot of cool cool stuff out there so i i like the book um i thought it was a really tight story like everything sort of had its place um mm-hmm. right I, I don't know how to describe it other than just tight like nothing felt excessive not a lot of film yeah um it was fun there were some things that kind of felt a little like we could have just cut that out like i think he he needed a little bit better of an editor i don't know but I, uh it was a quick five hour listen especially on double speed yeah. uh there were just like some things where he's like overly describing something and it's like eh, i don't really need to to see this man's testicles i'll say it works as a piece of genre fiction i don't know that it works as well as an actual mystery like um i'm currently i'm currently reading the outsider by stephen king which is just a much better uh detective story uh and and listening to them back to back sort of shines a, a little bit light on how simplistic crooked little vein is but 
I, I did find it fun. I wish it had been a limited comic book series. Uh, maybe that was a little too yeah. crazy for when this book came out. But nowadays, we see books like Sex Criminals and Safe Sex that are able to delve into like adult concepts and even, you know, pornography. I mean, even and- Saga. Really? Like you open up Saga and there's a page. Uh, it's a double page splash of <laughs> angels having an orgy and pegging and yeah. like all this oh, yeah. crazy well, stuff. It, like this book I'm reading now, Safe Sex, like kink is part of the plot, which is a lot of what this book is like. So I would like to see right. this. I think um, it feels like a comic book in the way there's these stop offs in cities with new characters and new hijinks and then they move on. Each one of those like cities could be an issue, it feels like. Um, and I would like right. to see that. I wonder if there has ever been any talk of adapting it. Probably not because comic books are not a popular market right now. But uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good, fun, quick listen. I, I don't think it really changed anything. Uh, I don't think it reinvented the genre. But I think if he was out there to write a fun noir story, he succeeded. So I like the fact that they were able to use a character like Trix to juxtapose Mike so that we could see another side of uh, kink and queer culture that is not being looked at from the outside. Like Mike is an outsider and Trixie is right. Trix is not. So I thought that was a cool little twist on the genre. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, next week we have a very special guest coming on the show. Um, oh yeah. We haven't even we talked do? about this. No, yet. just a little bit. We have uh, a good friend of the show. Ian Mondrick, he is a comic book writer. We talked about his comic Tomb of the White Horse back on our Halloween Roundtable episode. He's a very close friend of me personally, and he will be talking us into a program he likes called Letterkenny, uh, which is a Canadian sitcom. Ooh. Yeah, he is. I'm excited for this. I I hope it's, uh, I really hope it's good. (laughs) I really, really do. We don't want to imagine if we just like hate it. Like it's it's just like awful, and yeah, we just like and we're like I'm, destroy you're, his morale. You're not allowed on the show anymore. I'm not your friend. Lose my number. Pretend we never met. I hate you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in the meantime, you can check out Talk Me Into on TalkMeInto.com on social media, Twitter at Talk Me Into on Facebook. If you want, whatever. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Listen to us on Spotify or Stitcher. I don't know. Do whatever the hell you want. TalkMeInto.com. Check us out on patreoncom into or go to our YouTube page. I don't know, Jimmy. Where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at Son of a Fitch. S O N N A V A F I T C H posting kitty pics on uh, twitter and instagram everybody likes those kitties dan where can people find you online just to clarify jimmy k-i-t-t-i-e-s not (laughs) k-i-t-t uh you kids yeah you could find me on twitter uh under the name danny underscore breakdown and uh I don't have any cats but sometimes i post pictures of me cuddling my 16 year old chihuahua penny <laughs> Jeff, where can people find you? <laughs> Thanks, <Smooth> Jim. Segue. <laughs> Thanks for the transition. People can find me on Instagram at large, heart on collider, or on Twitter at J E F F F F F two seven. That's Jeff's with five Fs, the number twenty seven. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? Smooth transitions and freezing video chats. wants to bring us into 
what we're talking ourselves into. Me. Okay. Because I'm always great at it. Yeah, you are. You're my favorite. You're my favorite <laughs> baby little cousin, little cousin baby. That's not my cousin. Okay. Um, I'll bring us in. Okay. Hold on. Give me one minute. I want water. Jesus. Titty. Christ. Can you believe this guy, Jim? <laughs> oh, I can believe it. I've known him for quite a while. All the all this this waiting. Classic. I am fucking starving. Yeah, me too. Because I wait till we're done recording. <laughs> I am hungry. I'm back. Okay, I'm starting. I am hungry.